0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com/slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, Member FDSC. When you're a 415 415. You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more and more. Welcome. To the 415, hosted by Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy. What is going on? Welcome into another edition of the 415 Podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 957 the game. It's Mark Grandy. Evan Giddings with you as always. Mark, my man, how are you
1: doing? I'm doing well, Evan. Middle of February. Uh, we're through football season now and uh, we're gearing up for uh, the off season. So a lot to talk about. There's a lot of coach movement, of course. We gotta look ahead to uh, Next year's Super Bowl, who might have the chance to, to come away with it? Maybe we'll get off some hot takes at, uh, about that that we'll check in on in a year. But I'm doing well. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I know we got kind of a a little bit of a lull because obviously the next biggest date is the 49ers are concerned is February 22nd as we're recording this um, just about a week away. And so obviously everything is contingent upon that moving forward. But we are going to talk a little bit about the quarterback room, assuming health for Brock Purdy, where he fits in the NFC, as well as, I don't know, maybe some snubs from the end of the season as far as awards season is concerned. Uh, But first, as you mentioned, Mark, let's get into the Super Bowl And what the aftermath lays out for San Francisco, which is essentially, are they closer or further from the Super Bowl next season? And this was something that I I can see going either way. Honestly, I do believe that on face value, they are closer after seeing number one, uh, perhaps, I I don't know, vindication, whatever you want to say for Philadelphia, feeling closer Perhaps then maybe some people uh, felt after the NFC championship game from that sense. And then looking ahead, obviously, the Super Bowl odds are in favor of San Francisco, with them being currently the second best favorite, according to Caesars Sportsbook right now, I believe somewhere around plus 500. The Chiefs are number one. The Bills will be right behind San Francisco at number three. So at face value, yes, I guess they are technically closer from the Super Bowl. But I want to hear what you have to say before I dig in.
1: Uh, I think they are a little closer. Um, it's you look at the odds, and, and you know, as you laid out, the odds do suggest that's what Vegas thinks, that the Vegas thinks, the public thinks. Um, I think what we saw from them last year, Evan, this most recent season, is more sustainable than what they did the year prior. Uh, you could kind of write off that twenty twenty two postseason. Uh, you know, on the backs of Jimmy Garoppolo, where they beat the Cowboys, where they beat the Packers only to lose on a, in a heartbreaking fashion to the Rams in the NFC Championship game. I mean, they were a play away from not even making the playoffs in that game. And they just didn't feel all that impressive throughout much of the season. They strung together wins at the end of the year. But last year seemed more sustainable. and And especially after the acquisition of Christian McCaffrey, it felt like they put a a more representative effort of who they are on the field week in and week out. Now, the big thing, of course, will always be the quarterback position. And maybe you could make the argument. In fact, you probably could. There, there were more questions. Uh, there are more questions, perhaps, around the starting quarterback this offseason simply because of injuries. But if it wasn't because of injuries, you would feel more confident in the quarterback position this offseason than you did last. So, um, I mean, remember last offseason, no one even knew that Jimmy Garoppolo was still going to be a 49er and everyone was content handing the keys to Trey Lance. Uh, and and that's not even close to the situation that we're having this offseason. So I think for those reasons, yes, the Niners are closer. And then you also have to consider, well, what is their competition like in the NFC Specifically in the NFC West, we've talked about it a lot this season. It is a depressed division right now. The Niners and the Seahawks should probably finish one and two in some order uh, for a a few years coming. Maybe the Rams have a resurgence next year. They're going to get most of their players back and their head coach, Sean McVay, back, it seems. But it's a relatively depressed division, Evan. And looking across the entire NFC, similar to this season, There aren't that many other contenders. So I would argue I think the Niners have a better chance to win the Super Bowl this coming season than they did this year. Now, that is assuming the health of Brock Purdy. He has a good offseason health wise, gets his elbow all ready to go and he's ready for week one. But if we're assuming that, which I know is a relatively big assumption, but if we are assuming that, I, I do think the Niners are in a better spot this year than last.
0: I do agree with you that the plus 600 Super Bowl odds for heading into next season for the 49ers, second best of any team, is because of their path. It is because of the conference that they play in. And we're going to dig into some of the quarterbacks that still will remain in their conference in a bit. But here's why I might say heading into next season as opposed to last season, the one area I can see them being further is what did we learn from this Super Bowl outside of, of course, that Patrick Mahomes is on his way to being the GOAT. It is once you have a quarterback that you believe in, no matter how good they are, you need to protect them. And what did the Kansas City Chiefs do from two years ago in their Super Bowl loss to now? They beefed up their offensive line and they got their star quarterback protection. Right now, the 49ers have a lot of questions up front, specifically at the right tackle spot with Mike McGlinchey being a free agent, as well as I know Trent Williams is coming back. He didn't retire, so he will be back next season. But the rest of the offensive line, from what we saw against Philadelphia, even from what we saw against Dallas in the playoffs, to me, Mark, screams, I need help. And if you do believe in Brock Purdy or Trey Lance, whoever's going to be the start of this season, you need to make sure that they are protected so you don't end up in a situation like you did last year where you're on your fourth string quarterback in a potential go-home game. So even though I do understand why the NFC lays out a path for the 49ers to make a better run at the Super Bowl next year, perhaps than what we thought coming into last season, I also feel like they are further from, I guess, the... Equation to win the big game itself, which is once you have that signal caller under center that you believe in, you need to make sure at all costs that that person is protected and is your most valuable asset. I can't say that right now for San Francisco.
1: Yeah, you're right. Offensive line is going to be a big question. I mean, Mike McGlinchey kind of has a weird relationship with the Forty Nine er 49er, with Forty Nine ers fans. That is, uh, he's generally really good against the run and and not as good against the pass. Uh, he's going to go on the open market for a a pretty big number. Uh, I think a number big enough that Niner fans might not be willing to meet, but then that means, okay, well, who is going to be your right tackle? And that's going to be a huge question for the 49ers who do have some holes to fill elsewhere and who already have a pretty bloated contract. I know we've talked a lot throughout the season about you can you can make the cap work, you can make it dance for you, you can defer payments, you can push things further down the road, you can fit in some more this coming season, you can do all of that. But still, they are going to have to pick and choose what spots they want to fill in, and if they want to let Mike McGlinchey walk, and if they want to get help in the defensive secondary? Are they going to bring Jimmy Ward back? Are they going to get another corner? Or are they going to perhaps re-sign Emmanuel Mosley to a, a lesser number because of his injury that he's rehabbing? Are they going to try to give Nick Bosa some more help on the defensive line? Or as you laid out, are they going to try to beef up their offensive line? I'm sure they want to do everything, but it's just a simple fact. One, those are all premier positions other teams are trying to do those same things. And two, you're just not going to be able to afford upgrades everywhere. So where do the Niners choose uh, that they want to get better? And and that's obviously a a big part of this. Um, Talking about the NFC in general, Evan, I, I, I know this might sound like sour grapes. This might sound like Uh, You know, an an upset 49er fan still pissed off about what happened in the NFC championship game. Um, The Philadelphia Eagles were fantastic in the Super Bowl. 35 points is the most points uh, that a team has scored in the Super Bowl while losing. They were incredible. They had a fantastic season. They're falling off next year. I'm telling you, they are not going to be nearly as good in the coming season. You look at who they have that are free agents that are not currently under contract. Fletcher Cox, Brandon uh, Graham, Javon Hargrave, Robert Quinn. On their offensive line, Jason Kelsey, Isaac Samalo, uh, Andre Dillard as well, Uh, Linval Joseph, Boston Scott are running back. James Bradbury, the cornerback, he was the one that was was holding at the very end of Juju Smith-Schuster. They have so many high-quality players. That are free agents. Now, some of them will come back to Philadelphia. That is a given. I think but Miles not all Sanders is also a free agent. You're right. Miles Sanders, they're starting running back. Boston Scott behind him. They're they're both free agents. Some of their other guys, uh, Ndamukong Suh, Linval Joseph, uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Uh, there's a number of these guys that are free agents. This was Philadelphia's year to try to capitalize. They just barely missed. They're going to have to have a phenomenal offseason if they want to be as good as they were this year. You can expect some natural progression from Jalen Hurts from some of their other youngsters, Evan. But then you also consider the fact that they lost both of their coordinators. They became the first team in nearly three decades to lose both coordinators to head coaching positions after a Super Bowl trip. Of course, Shane Steichen taking the Colts job and Jonathan Gannon Taking the Cardinals job, by the way, I think Gannon in Arizona will be a disastrous failure. We can talk more about that throughout the offseason. But I, I don't think Philadelphia is going to be nearly as good this coming year as they were this year. What does that mean for the 49ers, Evan? Despite the fact that if they are maybe flawed in some areas they have a better chance at securing the number one seed in the NFC this coming season. And who knows that could be the the difference in making a Super Bowl or not. I'm not, I'm not coming out here and predicting that I'm just saying, I, I do think the competition level in the NFC is going to be down, even from a relatively down year this past season. I don't think Philly will be nearly as scary in the 2023, 2024 season. Maybe the Niners aren't quite as good either, at at least during that stretch when McCaffrey was the starting running back, but I I do think they have a relatively easier path to the Super Bowl. However, their regular season schedule is probably a little bit more difficult, so maybe I'm really just splitting hairs here, but I, I do think there is a path for the 49ers that does not include having to beat out an elite, elite, elite team in the NFC. I'm just not quite sure I see it this year, this this coming year.
0: Well, and that's why San Francisco will be six to one odds and the Eagles will be eight to one odds at this point. And I think the third toughest NFC team, according to Caesar Sportsbook, is the Cowboys at 16 to one. Like, and who were the best three teams this year? Those three teams. I hate that you make me have to put the cape on for Philadelphia, uh, Mark, <laughs> because I was... Look, I I thought they win the Super Bowl. I was wrong. Um, I also thought that whoever came out of the NFC would win the Super Bowl. I also believe that would have been wrong. I don't see an avenue in which the 49ers would have beat Kansas City in that Super Bowl. But you could also kind of say the same thing about the 49ers. And what was a big reason that the 49ers were able to get to where they were and kind of undergo and sustain some of the injuries that they did? It's because they had a lot of depth. And they're losing a lot of that depth, Mark. And that's unfortunately what happens to pretty much every Super Bowl contending team. That is also the reason why we do not see teams go back to back. And that to me is the biggest indicator of why Philadelphia would not end up in the Super Bowl next year, is because we just typically do not see teams, even ones that do not win it, that are runner ups, go back to the bowl. We don't see it. So. And that's what the Chiefs, what makes the Chiefs so, so incredible. It's what makes the Patriots dynasty so ridiculous is because they find ways to retool. And I also would say that what's the biggest reason that the the Eagles were in the Super Bowl? Like, what, what's the biggest reason that they, they hung 35 points or that, that they were within a fuel goal of Kansas City of winning the Super Bowl?
1: Well, it's Jalen Earth
0: and he's back. So, And he's going to get paid. So that that would be my biggest uh reason to feel confident in Philadelphia and the biggest thing that again right now as far as what we learned from the Super Bowl is yes you can have a a a great quote unquote defense you can be near number 1 the entire season. You could also be the Kansas City Chiefs who were I think 11th, 12th in total defense, 16th in points per game. Like they weren't exactly, you know, huge stoppers. Um but once you face a quality quarterback, and this is something that I, I had missed throughout the entire regular season is the fact that when Philadelphia faced a good or, or even comparable above average quarterback, they struggled. I mean, Dallas hung 40 plus points on them. I know Jacksonville had success with Trevor Lawrence. Obviously Kansas city did too. Like the, the issue to me is, is becoming clear, not necessarily. Okay. How can you beat an all-time quarterback? Cause, History points to you can't being able to do it. But how can you keep them in check? I think looking to the AFC, and of course, they have more familiarity with Mahomes, but those teams are, in my opinion, better equipped to handle, um, I mean, honestly, all the star power at the quarterback position. So, you know, San Francisco is definitely going to have to um, retool and get better. But I'm with you that it looks bright because of their path in front of them. And Philadelphia is not going to be, in my opinion, as dominant as they were last year. But I also don't think they're going to be taking as big of a step back as I guess those free agent losses might lead you to uh, lead you to believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously having Jalen Hurts back, maybe aside from Lamar Jackson, and we haven't seen him play in a while, the most, uh, I don't know, uh, dual threat quarterback in in the nfl the one who, who makes you fear his legs as much as as you fear his arm so that's going to be a big part of of their season and, and their process uh regardless of of who they lose in free agency so that's obviously going to be a huge part of that i'm not saying they're not going to make the playoffs i don't think they're going to be the last undefeated team left and who knows they, they might not even win the nfc east uh we we all understand the cowboys uh but they're not a bad football team and they won't be a bad football team this coming year. So we'll see how it all works out, but I, I'm with you. The the biggest thing working in the 49ers favor, Evan, at least until we figure out Brock Purdy's health, at least until we figure out what they do in free agency, who they retain, do they address this? Do they address that? The biggest thing working in the 49ers favor is the rest of the NFC. Maybe that changes. Maybe it's more about the 49ers once we figure out what this offseason is like. But at this moment, I think the reason why you can be confident is because the Niners are probably on paper the, the best team in the NFC as it currently stands.
0: Yeah, and we'll dig into some of the free agents as we continue on this offseason here on the 415 Fivers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Go follow Mark on social media at Mark granny, Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. I'm on social at E Giddings, uh, our podcast. You can find Twitter, Instagram, the rest at 415ers. Well, you mentioned some of the uh, the coaching additions or in Philly's case subtractions of course you mentioned Jonathan Gannon going to Arizona Shane Steichen going to Indianapolis that fills the head coaching vacancies in the NFL Uh, but the 49ers had another one of their coaches slip out and of course one of those vacancies was Houston D'Amico Ryan's got that and we found out earlier this week that Bobby slowick the pass game coordinator this past year for San Francisco had been an assistant coach for numerous years with the 49ers is going to join him. So Kyle Shanahan, although he is the play caller, although he is the offensive mind and the guy that, that does everything. um, Well, not necessarily everything, but everything starts with Kyle Shanahan is going to have a void to fill Mark. And I would Kind of lean towards him filling it internally, but I guess you never really know because they went out and signed a def- defensive coordinator from outside the organization, which was something that they hadn't done in recent years.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know they they just keep losing assistant coaches, and Kyle Shanahan's cupboard is becoming a little bit barren at this point. And it's it's natural when you do have the success the Niners have had. This is what happens. Now it's on Kyle Shanahan to continue to identify. Um, you know, the the next people in that line of great assistants that he's had that have gone on and had success elsewhere. So Bobby Slowick, who was only the the passing game coordinator for the 49ers for one year last year, he was an offensive passing game specialist prior to that. He's the new offensive coordinator with the Texans, as you said. And now it's a question of who fills in there. It looks like a likely candidate is tight ends coach Brian Flurry. Uh, he's a guy that's well-respected within the building for the 49ers that Kyle Shanahan really likes. Um, and the tight end position, of, of course, because of George Kittle, and well, you got to credit flurry for that as well, has always been a positive for the 49ers. So we'll see how he is able to do if the Niners do decide uh, to give him a, a bigger role within the coaching staff. Um, but something that I'll keep an eye on, Evan, I know we talked about this, it was a couple of months ago, I think towards the end of the regular season, Uh, When the Mike or pardon me, when the D'Amico Ryan's rumors were at its height and Kyle Shanahan was essentially asked to reminisce about Mike McDaniel and D'Amico Ryan's and even Robert Sala and, you know, his recent assistant coaches, his recent coordinators that had gone on to be head coaches and in D'Amico's case would be going on to, to becoming a head coach soon. He was asked like how he thinks about team building specifically from a staff perspective. And he really, really loved and and talked about the path that quality control coaches go through, QCs as he calls them, uh, and how they have to really be up on everything because they're not, uh, you know, they're not a tight ends coach. They're not a running backs coach. They are focused on the entire team, not just one position. And as a result, those guys learn a lot more and are kind of better prepared to be coordinators or potentially head coaches at some point. So maybe more so than than who gets promoted from a position coach to a coordinator spot or who becomes more trusted by Kyle Shanahan, I think I might be looking at who does he bring in from the outside? What young guy that we don't know about yet? What player just retired that Kyle Shanahan has identified as potentially a good coach in the future? What guys does he bring in that aren't yet in the organization and who is filling those quality control spots because we have seen time and time again, those guys relatively quickly become household names and get promoted and leave the 49ers and have success elsewhere. So I might be keeping an eye on that. Maybe some names you haven't heard yet because you will probably know them before, you know, too long passes. So I I do think Kyle Shanahan has proven he has an ability to identify those guys and, and to, to help, I don't know, nurture them and to help them grow in and, and they become good coaches. So I'm not too worried about it, but it will be interesting to see how Kyle Shanahan does try to tackle this problem, because, as I said, his assistant coaching room is becoming a it's been scavenged by teams from around the league. So we'll see how he does bounce back from that now.
0: Well, he's been able to bounce back before. I mean, he's lost some quality candidates, some quality coordinators, some quality assistant coaches in years past, and he's continued to chug along. And I think we both agree he's had his best season as head coach, even if he wasn't named the head coach of the year, which we might discuss a little bit later in the episode. Um, Two things off that, Mark. Number one, I think that Kyle Shanahan has shown that he values also versatility. And that is something, I'm not saying Fleury is going to get you know, the fill the void of Slowick immediately. He's gonna be the next guy up, but someone like him. And what I mean by that is a guy like, you know, Brian Flory, he also isn't just an offensive mind. In fact, the majority of his background is on the defensive side of the football with other organizations. Miami worked closely with the DCs before that. He also worked as an outside linebackers coach and now has sort of shifted to the offensive side of the football. In college, he was a quarterback at Townsend. Like There are a lot of different skill sets that I think Kyle Shanahan values in in not only his coordinators, but in general, his assistant coaches and his position, position coaches to be able to understand all sides of the football. So I think that's one where, where we're seeing Kyle Shanahan maybe not be ahead of the curve, but at least emphasize... Um, versatile positions under him so that if one day he does need to elevate guys that he feels comfortable doing so. The second thing that is on my mind, Mark, which I'm we, we won't know, but I'm, I'm curious and we'll pay attention to is these young head coaches. Like Shane Steichen hired age 37. Obviously, Sean McVay was the youngest head coach when he was hired with the Rams. Kyle Shanahan, very close to that in his late 30s. I am curious how the assistant coach and coordinating rooms will continue to be filled by these young head coaches after their sort of immediate relationships fade away and what I mean by that is Kyle Shanahan obviously has experience with the Browns with the Texans with the Falcons and now with the 49ers but his relationships is where we see him draw from a lot of his coaching staff and as of course he continues to filter guys in and out and Kyle Shanahan doesn't have as long of a coaching resume, which is a credit to him. That's how brilliant he is, but doesn't have as long of a coaching resume as someone taking over in their 40s or their 50s and being able to grow as a guy like, I don't know, for example, Doug Peterson has kind of a wider well to pick from when he when it comes to selecting his coaching staff. As those coaches for Shanahan continue to dry up, I am curious what means he will go to in order to fill those spots just because he probably doesn't have and maybe this is being a sumptuous, but probably doesn't have as long of a list as someone who is an older head coach and has been around the game
1: a lot longer than he has. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that angle of it because you're right. A lot of the guys that have been on his staff are guys he've, he's run into maybe by chance or happenstance at previous coaching stops or maybe, you know, even from days in college, people he knew through his dad. And you know that the more you pick from that list, that the fewer names remain on that list. I think it's probably on Kyle Shanahan, and I'm sure he's aware of that as well. He can read the writing on the wall. It's probably at that point up to Kyle Shanahan over the you know the last number of years to continue developing those relationships and keeping an eye out for people outside of your building that you like, uh, and maybe you don't quite have. I don't know, the, the great personal relationship that, say, he had with Mike McDaniel, where they were together on uh, basically every one of Kyle Shanahan's coaching stops before the 49ers, including the 49ers, of course, but before them as well when he wasn't a head coach. Probably doesn't have that kind of relationship with some of these guys, but I'm sure there are guys, there are players, there are people that he has probably identified as, hey, I might be interested in, in bringing you on as a, as a coach whenever you're ready. And I know there was one example he he told, he went up to a player, I think after practice one day and said, Hey, you might not be cut out for this playing thing. Unfortunately, uh, you're not going to get much playing time for us, but, but I would love you to be, you know, a quality control coach on our staff whenever you're ready. And the coach or the player like stormed off and eventually came back the next day or a couple of days later and said, I was pissed, Kyle, I'm not going to lie, but I think I want to be a coach for you. And I don't, I don't I don't think he specified who what player that was, but he ultimately joined the staff. And I think Kyle Shanahan w- was happy about that. So I think that's where those sorts of things come into play, where it's up to Kyle Shanahan to lean on relationships he's built outside of the organization while he's been a 49er head coach. And that's why it's important to never burn bridges, to not do any other organization wrong, because you never know who you might be upsetting. And if you might be asking someone uh, to do something to help you in the future. So I think Kyle Shanahan is uh, has been aware of that, uh, and it's probably what we'll see put into action over the next couple of years because you're right, he's got to be running a little bit dry on his list of guys that he knows personally, that he has worked with personally from his time before San Francisco because that was a handful of years ago now.
0: Yeah. And I do think this is where we can see the evolution of Shanahan, perhaps not publicly, but certainly as a head coach, because you're going to have to be more trusting. Like the one advantage that he does have is, of course, he has built up the reputation of being someone that number one if you're a young upcoming head coach is going to get you hired. You're yeah. going to have a job. If you succeed in San Francisco somewhere else, and you're probably going to be in the NFL for a very long time. So he's got that going for him. The second part is he's also built up a reputation of being in a very educated, intelligent football mind that other people would love to learn from, even if that doesn't equate to a job at a higher level. So he has that sort of magnetism surrounding him. I believe as a coach over, I don't know, you know, maybe 80 to 90 percent of head coaches in football, perhaps even more uh, with how young he is. And so he's going to have in a way, I think, a little more pick of the litter from coordinators or, or, or assistant coaches that like you're talking about. The question is, how trusting can he be and how quickly can he assimilate those guys into his system? Because as we know, Kyle Shanahan is a very much direct not necessarily my way or the highway, uh, but is going to tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear, and is going to make sure that it is done on his watch. So uh, there, there's a lot of things that we're going to be keeping keeping in track of. And I think that this, maybe not you know, exactly this specific hire is going to indicate what way he's going, but it's something to keep an eye on if San Francisco continues to succeed. Because in all likelihood, Mark, that means they're going to continue to lose top-notch coaching candidates.
1: Yeah. Uh, one other thing that that you just said that, that kind of got my brain working was, you know, for a number of reasons. I think one reason you might have left off is the Niners are a well run organization and they're successful. T- people want to be here, whether or not it's Shanahan as the head coach. I think people want to be here uh, for that reason as well. Well, I, uh, I, I, w-
0: I would push back a little bit and just point point you towards the years before Shanahan and after Harbaugh and and ask you if they were as well of a run organization then as they are now.
1: True, but that that is you're right, that is a an era of some dysfunction for the 49ers, but I think it's pretty clear that ownership Jed York has learned from that and uh, you can't argue that he has been a much better owner the last 6-7 years than he was the 7 years prior to that. So, I do understand your point. I do think the relatively recent uh history suggests that this is a a place that's pretty good to be at um but the other thing that you said is shanahan might you know have pick of the litter for guys i think you're generally right that you know again people want to play for kyle shanahan and and people don't mind being a san francisco 49er for the most part however i do think shanahan generally of course he would want to get a litter and he always wants the best guy, but kind of what I was getting at earlier, I think he kind of likes finding those unknown guys and, and developing them into someone like a D'Amico Ryans or like a Robert Sala. He doesn't like going out and hiring, you know, the number one name, the he's your next great defensive coordinator. Obviously he would love to have that. And he wants to have the best defensive coordinator possible. But I think he's almost more intrigued by finding someone young that he has some connection with that is confident in and running him through the ranks. And in a few years, churning out a great defensive coordinator, a great offensive mind, the next Mike McDaniel, the next D'Amico Ryans. I almost feel like he enjoys that process more so than just going out there and saying, all right, everyone agrees. This is the number one defensive coordinator for this offseason. season." come to San Francisco, you are our new DC. He would obviously love a great defensive coordinator. I'm not saying he wouldn't be willing to do that, but I think he almost prefers that long process of finding, developing a young guy and helping turn him into the next great defensive coordinator a la Robert Sala and a la D'Amico Ryans. Maybe I'm I'm getting a little too, I don't know, positive of, of Kyle Shanahan, too complimentary of Kyle Shanahan, but I think he enjoys that process.
0: No, I don't think you are, Mark. And before we move on to our final topic, I do want to say this. It sounds an awful lot like (laughs) the quarterback conversation surrounding Kyle Shanahan, because what do people continue to say about Kyle? Well, you know, he... He doesn't actually want the number one star, you know. He he doesn't want to get the, you know, the, the the most dynamic, biggest, best quarterback in the league. He'd rather develop a Matt Ryan or develop, you know, kind of an average a Kurt Cousins or a Matt Stafford. He'd rather have those guys run his offense and, you know, be the the guy to find the hidden gem or unearth a talent that was previously unlocked. And it's, it's just funny that the way that we're talking about coaches is, is the way that I feel like a lot of people talk about Shanahan
1: relationship to his quarterback. So yeah. maybe there's some correlation there. Yeah, you might be right. Um, I think maybe the, maybe the difference is he would, uh, he would love to have uh, one of those elite quarterbacks. He doesn't care where it comes from, just lock him up for a handful of years and, and never have to worry about that position again. Uh, but I I do I do get what you're saying. That is, there are some uh, parallels there. I'll say
0: we can we can have that conversation another day. I think it's a long one and uh, one that we can dig into in the off season for sure. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network 95.7 The game. Evan Giddings, Mark, Randy, with you as always, coming at you a couple times each week in the off season. So stay tuned, download, rate, subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Five stars are of course appreciated okay Mark um I know we we had talked about you know going through some quarterbacks specifically in the NFC but I know we we dug into the four ers chances opportunity to get back to the Super Bowl, five to one, number one of the NFC. I do want to save that quarterback conversation because I think it's one that can be lengthy. Um, But of course, something that we didn't get to last week and at the beginning of this week was the fact that the 49ers had some awards come their way. And the biggest one, of course, is Nick Bosa winning Defensive Player of the Year in his third season, a young man to do it. He is on his track to Canton. He continues to dominate at a level that we have not seen maybe probably since Alden Smith this early in his career. And of course, Bosa looks set up to be um, to have that sustained success longer than someone as dominant as Alden. Uh, but of course, Kyle Shanahan and Chris McCaffrey, both not named to their respective awards. Kyle Shanahan, NFL head coach of the year, Christian McCaffrey, NFL comeback player of the year to that. You say, which is a bigger snub?
1: <sighs> That's a tough one. Uh, so, Brian Dable, Giants head coach, one AP coach of the year over Kyle Shanahan and Geno Smith, Seahawks quarterback, uh, one AP comeback player of the year over Christian McCaffrey. I know we've had this conversation in the past, Evan, but what the hell did Geno Smith come back from? Maybe it's just my mind. They wrote him and- off, Mark. They wrote <laughs> I him know, off. And he did it right back, though. I know, I get the whole story. It's a fantastic story. Um, And maybe it's my fault for in my own head, assuming that comeback player of the year meant, uh, you know, able to overcome an injury because that's not the Geno Smith case. He he overcame other obstacles. Um, But I think for me, it's Christian McCaffrey. I probably would have voted Kyle Shanahan and McCaffrey, you know, to win these awards. But I think McCaffrey, the incredible season that he had, the The, you know, the way that he turned around the Niners season and he, when he was the starter, did not lose a game in the regular season. Uh, I think at, at one point for this comeback player of the year award, you have to obviously consider the circumstances of McCaffrey's injury last year, the rest of Geno Smith's career. But it's also at a certain point, you have to think about it as, say, an MVP award and say, who was the more impressive player? And Geno Smith, while he had a really good season, he did kind of fall off a bit at the end of the year, and McCaffrey was just otherworldly. So I think McCaffrey not winning AP comeback player of the year, probably a little bit of a bigger uh, bigger snub for uh, uh, than AP coach of the year, at least in my opinion. Dable was incredible for the Giants. I'm not saying Shanahan wasn't worthy, but I think McCaffrey probably deserved it a little bit more than Shanahan might have.
0: Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I I think, I don't know if I said it on this podcast, but I I, I thought Brian Dable would be head coach of the year. I thought that he and Doug Peterson, to me, would be the two that I would choose just because they did the most with the least. And honestly, the fact that Nick Sirianni wasn't even a candidate indicates to me that the committee was maybe weighing some of that a little bit more. And Kyle Shanahan, to me, just unfortunately, even though he did have two starting quarterbacks get hurt. He fell more into the Sirianni category of having a great team and, and to his credit, maximizing that team as opposed to turning around uh, like, and, and actually I think Doug Peterson might have a better case than Brian Dable. The fact that he took over like a one or two win team last year and then turned him into a team that could win a playoff game is incredible to me, neither here nor there. So as far as Christian McCaffrey is concerned, yes, I'm with you. He had an, an amazing season. I do Don't think Geno Smith necessarily came back from anything in the traditional sense, but I don't get why people are so fixated on comeback player of the year having to come back from an injury. Like I I don't I don't know if that was ever in the definition of the award like you have to tear an ACL the year before to be comeback <laughs> player of the year or have to break an ankle or have a freak injury like Christian McCaffrey did last year in order to qualify for the award. Geno Smith came back from irrelevancy. That's what he did. He came back from being a journeyman backup quarterback to being thrust into the spotlight in Seattle and becoming the, the franchise's single season passing leader. Like That's, to me, what Geno Smith came back from, even though I do think Christian McCaffrey was snubbed from that award, and this is why. Because Christian McCaffrey was also snubbed from each all-pro team. I know he ended up being a a random last-minute substitute in the Pro Bowl, but Christian McCaffrey had 1,900 scrimmage yards, the majority of which coming with San Francisco and was the key reason for the turnaround of the 49ers' season. So if you're talking about value, if you're talking about quality, if you're talking about talent – Christian McCaffrey checks all three of those boxes and was immediately a trigger and a kickstarter for a team that ran the table the last 12 weeks of the regular season into the postseason. whether it be Jimmy Garoppolo or Brock Purdy, Christian Christian McCaffrey is the reason why they were the number one efficient offense in football from week eight on. And he's the reason why they were in the NFC title game. To me, the biggest reason why that offense turned around. So, All right, salute to Saquon Barkley, salute to Derrick Henry, even Josh Jacobs, I know technically led the league in rushing. Christian McCaffrey was the best running back in 2022 on to 2023, and I hope he maintains that same level because if he does, we might not be talking about comeback player of the year award, Mark. We might be talking about something called most valuable player of the year next season if Christian McCaffrey can maintain this pace heading into next year. Are you crazy? A running back winning MVP in today's game? I know it hasn't game? happened. I know it ha- I think 2012 is the last time it happened, and it did take a 2,000-yard rusher to do so. Yeah. But, uh, again, if if we're talking about San Francisco having a, a great path to get back to the Super Bowl, I think that also means a great path probably to the one seed. And what do they tend to the re- to reward? Great players on the best teams. And Christian McCaffrey might fit that bill next year, Mark. Just put in the cap.
1: Well, yeah, if there's ever a running back to win MVP in the modern game, it would be someone like Christian McCaffrey, who's a hybrid wide receiver and running back who isn't your normal running back. So I am with you, at least to that point And the Niners are kind of a weird team where if you had to pick an MVP from their team, like if they made it to the Super Bowl, the betting market on Super Bowl MVP would have been crazy because you could make a case for like five different players Where basically on any other team. It's OK. The quarterback. Uh, But that's not the case for the 49ers. So uh, if they get a one seed, who knows? It could happen. Probably not. It could happen. Uh, But it is interesting. Uh, I did look up the the definition of the AP NFL Comeback Player (laughs) of the Year Award. And what I have here is, uh, quote, while the criteria for the award is imprecise, it is typically given to a player who shows perseverance in overcoming adversity from not being able to play the previous season, such as an injury, or from playing well in comparison to the previous year's poor performance. So uh, you can come back from your own uh, poor play and win the award. I get it. I, I really, the Geno Smith story was an awesome story, uh, especially considering the fact that it had been years since he had really gotten a real opportunity. Uh, Fantastic season. And I uh, salute him and I applaud him, but I think everything you said, I agree with. Um, Maybe Geno Smith's story a little more memorable, a little more inspiring than Christian McCaffrey. But at some point, you also have to take in the pure greatness of the season that is up for debate. And Christian McCaffrey had a greater season than Geno Smith. Uh, It's unfortunate that he was snubbed from a number of of different things from the Pro Bowl, which he eventually got on as a replacement from an All-Pro team uh, and, and from the AP Comeback Player of the Year award. Probably doesn't bother him all that much, uh, but I, I think he deserved a little bit of recognition for the crazy season he had.
0: Well, we will continue to power on through these episodes in the off season as that wraps up this version, this edition of the 415ers podcast. Uh, go check out all of our previous episodes on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, Mark, appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. Sounds good, Evan. Looking forward to it already. All right, enjoy your weekend. You've been listening to the 415ers Podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network.